After 700 days of slowing the spread, the masks have finally come off, exposing the real danger to society. People, seeing the faces of the general public has reminded each and every one of us of the real danger of people who don't think like you or don't look like you or don't scowl like you. The offensive smiles of strangers passing by ought to offend you. After all, they don't know you, and they shouldn't assume what mood you are in. Smiling is a microaggression that must be stopped. Those masks really helped stop that microaggression. Imagine you're walking down the street and there, someone you don't know smiles at you. I feel triggered just thinking about it. And after 700 days of nature being able to heal from the scourge of humanity, what might happen now to the environment and mask companies now that the little people aren't being muzzled? We should all be deeply troubled. The masks over people's mouths and big tech, big pharma, and big government censorship effectively reminded people that they shouldn't talk or think. And if they did, there would be consequences. After all, democracy dies in darkness. And democracy, well, that is a white supremacist, colonialist concept of an individualistic notion that must be done away with at all costs. As little people like you and I, we don't know better. And we should be kept safe from thinking. Thinking is dangerous. We need to be kept safe from thinking for ourselves. And Elon Musk is threatening to uncover that darkness that is keeping you and I so safe by buying Twitter and exposing the black box of Twitter's algorithms, shadow bans, deplatforming, and really publishing the, the propaganda and promoting the propaganda that the powers that be behind the dark and shadowy curtain of Twitter really align and agree with. For once, for once, we all need to lay aside the fear-mongering of climate catastrophe and attack Elon Musk, who is creating a great electric car which cuts humanity's carbon footprint because, because he's really only trying to save humanity, not save the environment. And this goes against everything the ruling elite who are pulling the strings behind the curtain believe. It is not the environment that we are trying to save, but is humanity that we seek to destroy. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 279. It is April 21st, 2022, and I'm coming to you from the heart of the Middle East. And man, I am so excited, so excited to see that after only 700 days of slowing the spread by muzzling men, women, and children on airlines, which have, you know, EPA air filters, great air circulation, which really means that an airplane is not a likely place that you're going to catch the flu. That's all been done away with. It, in, in a moment, there's videos circling around the social medias of people celebrating the moment that the airline pilot <laughs> announces that no longer, no longer are the mask mandates in America in place and in the rest of the world is already following suit. It's 
you mean British Airways beforehand, before this happened, said we're no longer mandating masks on our airplane. The UK have, has already begun to roll back measures. Uh, this is a great sign, a great day, uh, a shame that it took so long, so long for this to happen, to reach this point. But uh, finally, the masks have come off and hopefully it is the beginning of the end of this catastrophe of policy that has wrecked and destroyed economies, livelihoods, uh, people's jobs, people's health, people's mental health, suicide rates. Hopefully it is the end of these horrible government policies that have really endangered so many people and, and, and harmed so many people threw the world into a tailspin because of policies that were put in place, policies that weren't even able to be questioned. There wasn't even the ability to have, in many countries, the ability to have an open forum to discuss the, the conflicting data behind what was happening when it came to COVID. Now, this ties into today's episode. We are talking about Elon Musk. This is a Musk-heavy episode as really one of the, it's really amazing what's happened over the last week of Musk not only buying a nine point some percent of Twitter, but then making an offer to buy the, buy out the entire company at 54.2 cents per share, which is far above what the value of the company is worth in attempts to take Twitter private so he can undo all of these black box policies of hidden algorithms and not really knowing what's promoted, demoted, why that is, what's going on behind the scenes, where clearly there is bias, ex explicit bias against conservative voices or against voices that do not align with the progressive liberal movement that big tech has embraced, that big big tech and big government has embraced. Instead, big tech, instead of being a place where there is a, an open form, uh, broad and decentralized, it has become a centralized place of gatekeeping and gatekeepers and algorithms of people who have taken it upon themselves to become publishers. And we've talked about this, I don't know, numerous, numerous times on the show about Article uh, 79, I believe, in India, in Article uh, Section 230 in America, which states that if an internet company like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram is operating as a, a bulletin board, as a utility, as a telephone company, they are not held liable for the information that users post. They have the ability to take uh, some things down that are threatening to the community that clearly break laws, such as uh, in, uh, the real in, inciting of violence, calling for violence against individuals, doxing people, calling for death threats against people, which sometimes is done and most of the time is not done on these platforms, depending on which side of the aisle is calling for what. Uh, that is one of those companies operating as a utility, as a bulletin board. They're not a publisher. 
It gives them the ability for users to generate content without Facebook or Instagram being held liable for that content. Just as if I pick up my phone and I have a telephone conversation and we, we talk about some sort of uh, conspiracy to overthrow a, a government or some other illegal activity. The telephone company acting as a utility is not held liable. They are not going to be the ones who are being brought to court, say so-and-so had a phone conversation over your phone network, and therefore you are a guilty party responsible for this crime. No, they're a utility. They're just providing a service, but I'm held liable for the actions that I take upon that service. Well, over the years, internet companies, social media platforms, have been able to use this to qualify themselves as an intermediary, not as a publishing, not as a journalist company that's held liable, which gives them the ability for users like you and me to post content to places like YouTube, just like this. This has given us an amazing freedom of open doors. But then slowly, 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 the creep has come in where these where these companies are functioning more like publishers, where they begin to say, well, we need to curtail speech. There's hate speech, there's, there's bullying that's taking place, things that are going against our community guidelines. Uh, for instance, just this, just this week, a, a farmer was kicked off of TikTok because he was bullying vegans by saying that, hey, if you eat a turnip, that turnip actually is only able to grow because of cow manure, and there is a circle of, of life that is going on where animals are used to grow crops. And so when you're eating turnips or spinach or any sort of grain or wheat, there is an animal byproduct that is being used in that, and therefore it's not really vegan. Well, I mean, clearly he was probably bullying, he was making fun of vegans. And so I can see how that mocking could be considered bullying and offensive, but now he's been kicked off TikTok because he's being offensive. He's offending a certain group of people. So these big tech companies have, have now been having to deal with these or choosing to deal with these sort of things by, by proxy, by the putting up of fact-checking on the bottom of posts by, the, by the, the organization of an algorithm, especially an algorithm that's not transparent. We don't know why some things are being shown to us and why other things aren't. We don't know why some posts are being promoted and pushed to the top of algorithms and why some things aren't. What is the secret sauce behind it all? This creates these big tech companies not as unbiased open squares where people can have freedom of speech, freedom of talk, freedom to offend people, freedom to engage in debate with one another without having fear of being silenced for stating biological facts that a man is a man and cannot become a woman. A man cannot give birth to a baby. And a woman is a woman that cannot become a man. Stating biological facts is now considered a hate crime. Is now considered, considered hate speech. This has moved far beyond the open neutral platform and has moved into has moved into publishing. And this is what Elon Musk 
who is t- turning into the hero, the hero of the world, not, not the hero of the world, but a hero in the world, really uh, going to bat for, for the freedom of speech, freedom of dialogue, and offering to say, hey, I see Twitter being a problem. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to offer billions of dollars to buy out Twitter, still keeping some shareholders. He, he's saying that he wants to keep the minimum amount of or maximum amount of shareholders a private company can have, which is about 2,000 shareholders in a company, while still being a private company. And doing away with the secrecy, Elon Musk was just interviewed by, by Ted. And we have a, a series of clips. They're a little longer clips today. Each, run, each one runs about a minute long of Elon Musk in this interview, really laying out his vision for what he wants to do with Twitter and why and the problems that he sees happening within Twitter and how he thinks he can fix them. Here is the first of uh, a series of clips with Elon Musk. Well, I think it's very important for uh, there to be an inclusive arena for free speech, uh, where all, so, uh, yeah. Um, Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. Um, So uh, it's just really important that people have the, both the the reality and the perception uh, that they are able to speak freely within the bounds of the law. and. You know, so one of the things that I believe Twitter should do is open source the algorithm um, and make any changes uh, to people's tweets. You know, if they're emphasized or de-emphasized, uh, that action should be made apparent so you can, anyone can see that that action has been taken. So there's, there's no sort of behind-the-scenes um, manipulation, either algorithmically or manually. Um, yeah. but- <clears throat> There's, there's so much talk about democracy dying in darkness. It's this cliche phrase that people use, which I, I don't really know what it means, as uh, what, how do you define darkness? I, I, I guess supposedly it's been used more so in journalistic spheres. If we have to speak and expose what's happening, otherwise democracy will die. And yet when it comes to institutions like Twitter, which has a black box algorithm, which you do not know why something is being promoted, what is being demoted, what's manually being changed. We don't know. We don't know how these decisions are being made. There's not a clear, uh, uh, a clear vestige. There's not a clear uh, display of what's happening behind the scenes. In a platform that really is the town square of the globe, where conversations are happening about policy, change social issues and we're more than not one side of the conversation is being silenced is being shut down is being shadow banned because it goes against the the ideals of those who own the private company now yes if you own a private company you can you have the freedom to say actually i don't want this talked about i don't want this talked about I don't like this idea. I'm going to control the culture of my company. For sure, you have that freedom. But the moment that you decide to exercise that freedom, you are, you are operating as a publisher 
in this space, in this realm. And once you're operating as a publisher, the laws change. No longer are you protected by Section 230 in the United States. No longer are you protected by Article 79 in India. You are now exposed as a publisher and you are held liable for every single thing that is published on your platform, which is impossible to control. But as Musk says, there is freedom of speech within the confines of the law. And there are laws in America and in every other place in the world that places curtails, that places limits on certain kinds of speech. For instance, defamation. I can't go out and say something that is blatantly false about you and smear your name and, and create a whole bunch of false, complete lies and allegations about you. If I do that, you can take me to jail. You can take me to court. You can sue me. I'm held liable for false witness and false testimony. That's a crime. And you shouldn't be able to do that. Likewise, if a person is inciting direct violence against another person or group, that is also criminal. That's a criminal offense in America and many other parts of the world. So Musk is not saying that just take off the limits, just have total free and... uh, you know, anyone can say whatever they want and it's a free-for-all and there's no limits. He's saying, no, we, we need to respect the laws of the land. That's reasonable. I think that's reasonable. And if anything is being changed, there is a note on every post notating and dictating what has happened, why it has happened, and you can go and look at it within the open source of the algorithm And that is open to critique. Here is Musk in clip two. In my view, uh, Twitter should um, match the laws of the the country and and, and really, you know, there's an obligation to to do that. Um, uh, But going beyond beyond that um, and having it be unclear who's making what changes to to, to where, uh, having tweets sort of mysteriously be promoted and demoted, with no insight into what's going on, uh, having a black box algorithm uh, promote some things and other, not, not other things, I think this can be quite dangerous. So, so, uh, so the idea of opening the algorithm is, is a huge deal, and I think many yeah. people would, would welcome that, of, of understanding exactly how it's making the decision. And, and crit- critique it. And critique uh, like, 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 I mean, it. What, what yeah. I mean is, like, like I think like the, the code should be on GitHub, you know? So then, uh, and, and so people can look through it and say, like, uh, I see a problem here. I don't, I don't agree with this. Um, they can highlight issues, right. um, suggest changes in, in the same way that you sort of update Linux or, or Signal or something. You would think, you would think that many people would be open for it. You would think that everyone would be open for it, that everyone would say, yeah, let's open this up. Let's have a fear, fair playing field to know the rules that we're playing within. Instead, we have Calvin Ball, where there's some people, a a small group of select people who are controlling the flow of information, controlling what people do see or don't see in a non-transparent way. But the response is, the response is to Elon Musk, who is so green energy, blowing past boundaries and borders and creating electric cars. 
which is, it's the way of the future. It's, it's the Green New Deal. It is everything about creating a new utopia of being free from fossil fuels. And he's spearheading that. You would think that he would be the hero of that side of the aisle, of those who, who, who really believe that climate change and that climate catastrophe is the biggest issue with society. They, you would think that people would look at him and say, you know what? I agree. Musk, Musk is onto something. He's really fighting for our values when it comes to making a cleaner and better environment. And I'm for that. I'm all for that. I think Tesla's awesome. Amazing. But instead, because he doesn't fully align, because Musk thinks for himself and has ideas that contradict what the antinatalism, what the, the, the environmentalism movement believes and says, which is humanity is a scourge. We are no different than any other animal on this planet. We should be limited. We are an invasive species. We, we need to limit our population. There's population collapse coming. Musk actually says the opposite. There's not population collapse coming. The, they say that there is this population boom coming. And we're going to have so many people that it's not going to be sustainable. Whereas the numbers, and we're going to get into this uh, the second part of the show, Musk actually points out that actually we're, we're going into population collapse on a global scale and it's going to be detrimental. But because Musk thinks for himself, because he doesn't toe the party line, he is now an enemy of the state, quote unquote state, an enemy of the party, of the ideals, because he doesn't fit in to the box precisely. And that is always dangerous. So what does Musk think healthy and free speech looks like and sounds like? Well, I, I, I think we, we would want to err on this. If, if in doubt, uh, let, let, let the speech, let, let it exist. Uh, it would have, you know, if, if it's a, you know, a, a gray area, I would say let, let, the, let the tweet exist. Um, but obviously, you, you know, in, in a case where there's perhaps uh, a lot of controversy, uh, that you would not want to necessarily promote that tweet, if uh, you know. So the, I'm not. I'm not saying this is that I have all the answers here, um, but I, I do think that we want to be just very reluctant to delete things and, and have um, just just be very cautious with 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 perm permanent bans. Uh, you know, timeouts I think are better or, uh, than, than than sort of permanent bans, and. Um, you can see here, he's not speaking completely irrationally about this. He's not going to an extreme. He's measuring his words. He's saying, yeah, I'm still trying, trying to figure it out. These are some of the things that I think. Here's some of the, the patterns that I think would make Twitter a healthier place. It sounds very level-headed. Not at all controlling, but quite freeing. He continues. Uh, but just, just in general, like I said, uh, how, how it won't be perfect, but I think we want it to really uh, have, like I said, the perception and reality that speech is as free as reasonably possible. And a good sign as to whether so there is free speech is, uh, is, is someone you don't like allowed to say something you don't like. And if that is the case, then we have free speech. 
And it's, it's damn annoying when someone you don't like says something you don't like. That is a sign of a healthy, functioning, uh, free speech situation. When someone you don't like says something you don't like, and that is allowed, that is a sign of healthy and free speech. And I, I think it's a, a great articulation. It's saying the ability for you to be offended, for you to be triggered, is a sign that you are living in a society where there's free speech. Where there's an ability for the government to be offended, for a religion to be offended, for someone's beliefs to be offended, for people's feelings to be hurt, for people to, to feel like they're being disagreed with by people saying things they don't like. That is a sign of freedom of speech that should be upheld. But instead, we have moved into this snowflake mentality of absolutism, where if anyone is saying something that you don't like, that offends you, it becomes this, this personal violation, and that person should be shut down. If someone believes something that you don't like, you should cut them out of your life. We've, all, we've probably all had it happen, where someone says something we don't like, offends us, hurts us, and so we silence them in our life. Now, in some ways, it's Totally called for. If you have a person who's bullying you, who's harassing you, yeah, it's okay to set up boundaries around your life. If someone is constantly berating you, cursing at you, attacking you, saying crude and obscene things to you, yeah, put some boundaries around you. But if you just, if you have someone that disagrees, that sees the world differently than you, might say some things that are kind of offensive, man, you should have that person in your life should talk to them, should go get coffee for them, and you should pay for them, get a meal with them, discuss, and, and seek to understand why they see the world that they see the world through, why they have that lens on the world that will make you a better person, you a healthier person, and if your view on the world doesn't change, it will only make your arguments stronger. There's what, what's the downside? If you become to, to see the world a little differently, you'll be a more healthy, rounded person seeing the blind spots, blind spots better than you did before. Uh, I was in a conversation recently, taking my own advice. I was in a conversation recently with someone who self-labels themselves as a progressive. He said, yeah, I, I would be what would you'd consider a progressive. And so we were talking about policy. We were talking, I was asking him, you know, what does that mean for you? What does it mean for you to be a progressive in what areas? What, how does that actually play out in policy, different areas, socially and economically? And it, it came up, this Twitter thing came up and Musk came up. And I'm going to par paraphrase. I may not get exactly his quote correctly, but he was saying to the fact that he doesn't think that the richest man in the world controlling a platform like Twitter should be a good idea or is a good idea. He thinks it's too much control centralized in one person that he owns enough and controls enough. And when you look at what Musk owns and controls, yes, he is worth hundreds of billions of dollars, but that hundreds of billions of dollars is not cash 
or gold bullion that's sitting in his bank account. Those are tied up in shares. That's unrealized capital gains. In fact, an article just came out this week revealing that Musk says in an interview that he doesn't own a home. He's staying with friends, crashing in people's empty couches. He doesn't own yachts. He has one plane, company plane, so that he can get to places and save time rather than spending a bunch of time on commercial planes, which at that level, that's a minimum expense. But he's not some extravagant uh, oligarch who's spending hundreds of billions of dollars on obscenities. He's focused on building something. He's focused on a mission. He's focused on his purpose. Well, and remember, just because he has $251 billion of net worth and people have criticized him for not paying his taxes, that net worth at $250 billion is unrealized. If, if you have stock that you bought at $1, and it went to $250 billion, but you didn't sell that stock yet, but it's worth that much, you have not realized that $250 billion gain. There's no taxes that you can pay on it. I digress. I digress. In the conversation, the, it, it went, I don't think that one person should have that much control. And yet there are... My opinion, the argument falls apart and falls flat because there's other people who do have a lot of control who are actually using the platform not to create a space of freedom of speech, but they're creating a space where they are willing to take a poison pill and kill Twitter to make sure that Musk isn't able to have a controlling share or buy out the company. They're willing to say that Board members can't stay on the board. They are willing to say that that board members can buy more stock in the company to make sure that Musk isn't able to. All to stop Musk, who's pretty much just saying, hey, I think that this is being poorly run and poorly managed. And because I believe in freedom of speech and I believe in people having the ability to have freedom of speech, I want to open up the black box of Twitter so we can see what's really happening. Why? Why is that so controversial? Why is that so bad? Here's, here's what Musk says about him being the richest man in the world, owning uh, a platform like Twitter. Well, like I said, I think the, it's, it's very important that, that like the, the, the algorithm be open sourced and that any manual uh, adjustments be uh, identified. Like, so if this tweet, if somebody did something to a tweet, it's there's information attached to it that this, that action was taken. And I, 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 I won't personally be, uh, you know, in there editing tweets. Um, so, but, but you'll know if something was done to, to promote, demote, or otherwise affect uh, a, a tweet. Um, you know, as for media sort of ownership, I mean, you've got, you know, um, Mark Zuckerberg owning Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. Um, and with an, a share ownership structure that will uh, have Mark Zuckerberg the 14th still uh, controlling those uh, entities. Mm. Um, so, um, like literally. Um, 
Well, certainly the, we the, won't have that at Twitter. <laughs> so there's a great example of Zuckerberg. He owns Facebook, Meta, Instagram, WhatsApp. And he's going to continue to own it to his 14th generation, apparently, according to Musk. And so if Musk, you know, comes in, owns it, and decides to, to de-platform every other electric car company, uh, people would know that. People would see that. And that's going to be marked on every single tweet. So his, his vision of transparency when it comes to how the algorithm works seems to be far, far better. It, in this conversation with my progressive friend, he labeled himself a progressive, not me. We were talking about Musk's wealth and whether he has a right to it. And the argument that was put forward, which I thought was a fairly interesting argument, was that because of the system, because of the environment in America, Musk was able to build SpaceX. Musk was able to build Tesla because of the environment that was in, because there's laws in the lands that enabled entrepreneurship. And then the argument followed because he didn't really build it on his own, but it was a collective thing, not just a collective thing of his investors or, or the people who work in the company, but a collective of, uh, of the entire United States that the United States government should be able to take away wealth from Musk through taxation, I suppose, and redistribute that into, into other people's pockets, people who are less fortunate, or how about I would say it this way, people who have less economic means than Musk. Which, on, on the face of it, I can understand why people want to have wealth distribution, redistribution of wealth, or the Robin Hood syndrome of stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Not on the, the rich's own volition, not on the rich's saying, this is something we want to do. But as we said earlier, Musk's $251 billion is unrealized gain, largely. Most of it is unrealized. So how do, you, how, how do you tax that? Can you tax money that you haven't made yet? Well, that's the argument that's being put forward in, in many ways. But it drew me to two questions. One, was Musk just lucky? Was he just lucky? And just all the cards fell into the right place for him, and because he got lucky, he doesn't deserve it to earn it? Or did he work hard for what he earned? And the second question that I had was, if, if either one of those is the case, and he was just lucky, and it was just because of the environment that he happened to be born into, which, hey, being born as a woman, you are lucky because you have a, a longer expected lifespan span than men. If you are born near the water and live near uh, bodies of water, or the ocean or rivers, you have a longer life expectancy than people who live in landlocked areas. That is, that is not uh, bias. That is not privilege. That is just natural laws. It is just the laws of nature. So what would happen if all of a sudden we say, well, because 
of the environment that you are in, Musk, that enabled you to succeed. We are going to take away your wealth because you have enough of it. You don't need $200 billion. We'll just take away, you know, $189 billion. You can live off a couple billion. That's more than enough. And we're going to do with it what we see fit, even though we didn't actually create this wealth, but you did. But we're saying it's the environment that we were in that helped you create it. All of a sudden, that strips the environment away that gave him the ability to create that in the first place, which seems a little contradictory. But Musk has talked quite openly and talked even in this episode with Ted about the, the excruciating pain and suffering that he had went through to be able to build this company. He's not sitting back in an ivory tower with all his little minions doing the work down there. He's working, he's, he's belaboring, working day and night, sleeping on floors to see this dream become a reality. Here's his Musk. Yeah. I, I slept on the floor so that, the, so that the, the team who was going through a hard time could see me on the floor. Uh, that they knew that I was not in some ivory tower. And Whatever pain they experienced, I was, I had it more. And he is a leader that is, is giving everything. It's not just luck. It's not just the environment. Yes, that plays into it. Yes, the laws help, which is why he left California and he moved to Texas because like the laws here are ridiculous. They're crazy. They're killing our company. So yes, the environment plays into it, but then it makes no sense why you create an environment that is, uh, inhibits the very thing that he created while saying that it was the environment that created it. Well, there is uh, an, an automation boom that is coming in, uh, whether it's a couple years, a couple decades, it, is, it has already been among us, which is the industrial revolution. We have seen it from factories uh, replacing workers all across the globe. But it really what it leads to is excess. It leads to abundance. It leads to uh, people being able to be lifted out of poverty. And the, the fear that it can often drive us to, and we probably talked about it here on the show as well, which could be a possibility of, of, of a lot of people losing their jobs where automation is coming in and is replacing the teller. Automation is coming in and is replacing the factory worker. Automation is coming in and it's replacing the bricklayer. And this is a real, a real fear that people have and often use to make arguments for UBI, for universal basic income, saying because of all this automation, we need to begin to give people a basic income to live on because we're not going to be able to do anything. We're just automation will take care of everything and we'll just be able to sit back and relax. There's going to be a whole bunch of unskilled labor who can't find work. But in reality, right now in America and all over the world, we are facing massive labor shortages. We are facing construction worker shor shortages, even though we have so much automation when it comes to construction already. It's hard to find craftsmen. It's hard to find people who know how to do things with their hands in the, the, the tangible real world outside of the digital world. Because we've been pushed to, if you want to be someone that's successful, you're going to work in some sort of digital sphere. You're going to work with 
gigabytes and digibytes and ones and zeros, rather than working with things in your hands in your real world. Well, here's Musk. Uh, before, right before we get to our uh, yeah, that makes sense segment, here's one last clip by Musk talking about the automation that is coming. Think about the economics of this. If you can replace a $30,000, $40,000 a year worker, which you have to pay every year, with a one-time payment of $25,000 for a robot that can work longer hours, doesn't go on vacation. I mean, there, there could, it could be a pretty yeah. rapid replacement so, of certain types of jobs. How worried should the world be about that? I wouldn't worry about the, the sort of putting people out of a job thing. Um, I think we're actually going to have, and, and already do have, a massive shortage of labor. So I, th I, th I think we'll, we will have um, uh, not, not people out of work, but actually still a shortage of labor even in the future. Uh, but the, this really will be a world of abundance. Any goods and services uh, will be available to anyone who wants them. That it'll be so cheap to have goods and services, it'll be ridiculous. We can often, on this show, I know myself definitely included, I'm putting myself in this camp, I can begin to see the world through a, a negative, uh, pessimistic worldview. I can begin to look at the world and say things are getting worse. And in many ways, in many places, they are. There, there are many things on the rise, especially if you look in America at what has been happening when it comes to this agenda to undermine, uh, undermine family rights, to undermine children's identity, making children's identity tied to sex. Um, people making arguments that, well, what is, what is really the consensual age to have sex? We should just have it at any age, you know, if the child's consenting. Um, or laws that have, have been passed in, in Colorado and California even this week, the, the bill HR 2223, and we mentioned this uh, a couple weeks ago here on the show, which because the way that the bill reads, it gives provision for a, a baby to not be cared for or to be even aborted post-birth. Post-birth, after birth, up to six, to, some people even say 28 days. Now, the, those on the progressive left say, no, that's just a, uh, a hyperbole. That's just the progressive right make blowing something out of proportion. That's not exactly what it says. When really, we, you can read the law and you can say, well, yeah, I can see how if the, the law is saying that a, a mother or a doctor cannot be faulted for even postnatal death of a child, that's, that's postnatal abortion. That's infanticide. It's saying if a, a child is left to cry and not being fed and dies, there, there's, there's no, no space for an investigation and no space to, to charge anyone with the murder of a baby, which really is, I mean, Slow clap, congratulations, that's, consi that's consistent with the worldview, which says, well, we don't really know when life begins. We, uh, when does it begin? I mean, I mean, does it begin now? Am I a human? Do I have life? I have lesser intelligence than e Elon Musk. Am, am I valuable enough to society? Is someone with Down syndrome, is that, is that really a human? Are they really there? 
Should they really, is it, wouldn't it be more, more merciful to kill them? Someone's Alzheimer's. Alzheimer. Mm, I don't know. What about someone's cerebral palsy? Their, their body's not really working well. Maybe the merciful thing would be just to put them out of their misery. Ah, that infant in the womb. Is that really a human being? When does that life really begin? Gosh, surely not conception. Well, if it doesn't begin at conception, when biologists say that life begins in every other sense of the word with every other animal, as an egg even, eagle's eggs being protected, uh, turtle eggs being protected, but a human life not being protected, well, then when, when does life begin? If it's not at conception, it's not at the heartbeat, then why, what's to say that it's not at birth? What's to say that it's not until they're 18? What's to say it's not until the government uh, agrees that this individual has reached full human maturity and allows that individual to live for a certain amount of time as long as they're uh, productive and helpful in society and tote the party line? This, this is exactly... This is exactly, and I hate using the term because it's so cliche and overused, but this is the Marxist socialist worldview of determinism where there is no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as good and evil. There's only power. And you and I are sacks of chemicals that have been predetermined. And if we have been determined incorrectly, then it is not immoral to wipe out anyone if it serves the greater agenda and the greater cause, because after all, there is no morality. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Today, uh, this week in Canada, a church, right? When you, when you think of church, you think of religion, you think of... Uh, I mean, I don't know what you think of, but classically, you think that a, a religious body ought, ought to care for the sick and the dying and the poor, the orphan and the widow. True religion is caring for the orphan and the widow, visiting and caring for the poor, visiting, visiting those who are in prison. This is true religion. The definition of what a, a religious group is or ought to do. Well. This church in Canada hosted an assisted suicide ceremony for a member of their church, an 86-year-old member, Betty was her name, and they hosted an assisted suicide crossing over ceremony where the church leadership had a, a unanimously, unanimously approved her request for assisted suicide in in their sanctuary, where uh, even though in the Christian faith, whether it's Catholic or Orthodox or, or Eastern Orthodox, Presbyterian, Baptist, you name it, across the board, in, in the Christian faith and in monotheistic faiths, we believe that suicide is immoral. It's a sin. It's, it should not be done. It is not the merciful or kind thing to do. Euthanasia is not the kind thing to do. And yet laws are being passed right now in the West that are opening the door wider and wider to euthanasia, to uh, assisted suicide, even youth assisted suicide. 
even teen assisted suicide. This is the this is the the, the worldview of of quote unquote mercy that people are adopting. But it's anything but mercy. This is the the, the exact worldview that Hitler had adopted in saying, well, you know, we can cleanse society of those with disabilities, with mental disabilities. And that is, that is merciful. That is us being merciful because we are a superior, noble race and class of people. We know what's best. And we know that helping these people really means putting them out of their misery. That expanded to mm, the Jews. They are our subhuman race. It's actually merciful to liquidate the Jews, to liquidate the Polish ghettos, to, to pack people into gas chambers and liquidate them to end their lives, mass genocide. It's not genocide, it's mercy. It's because we, those who have been determined to be actually human, because we have self-determined ourselves to be human, and then therefore went on to determine who is not human, if that baby, if that, that person with a mental disability or someone with a sickness is not human, the merciful thing to do would be to put them out of their misery. After all, what's coming? What's coming is a global climate catastrophe where we're not going to have enough resources around the world to support the world, to support those who are truly, fully human. And so we have to make some tough choices. But don't worry, us on our ivory hill and our black boxes of algorithms, we can make the choices for you because democracy dies in darkness and we definitely do not want a democracy. We do not want individualism of you thinking for yourself. Let us do the thinking for you. We are smart. We are educated. You are just a, a lowly worker down there. We're going to decide who gets to live and who gets to die because overpopulation is coming and it's going to crush the planet with a, a merciless future. So this, we're actually showing mercy to these people. We're sh showing mercy by, by forcing uh, infertility. Here's Musk. I told you we have a lot of Musk in this episode. Here's, uh, the, honestly, the final clip by Musk uh, for, this, for this episode. Um, yeah, so most people in the world are operating under the false impression that, uh, that, that there are too many people. Um, this is not true. Earth could maintain a population many times at the current level. Um, uh, and the birth rate has been dropping like crazy. Um, so, the, and, and unfortunately, like, we have these, like, uh, ridiculous... Uh, uh, population estimates from the UN that need to be updated because they just don't make any sense. Um, it, really, you can just look at, say, what was the birth rate last year, how many kids were born, multiply that by the um, life expectancy, and so say, okay, that's how many people will be alive, uh, you know, um, in the future. Uh, and then say, is the trend for birth rate positive or negative? It's negative. So that's the best case, unless something changes with the birth rate. Um, I mean, you can look at, take, take Japan, for example, I think, uh, I'm just going off memory here, but I think the population is roughly 110 million. Um, but last year, um, if you take the, uh, 
number of uh, children born times the life expectancy, which is 85 years. It's very impressive uh, life expectancy. Then Japan would uh, have, I think, around uh, 68 million people, roughly half of the current population. That does not tell the full story because those that you would have an upside down demographic pyramid. You already have an upside down demographic pyramid where, you know, a lot of old people, very few young people. And, um, um, you know, so, so how is this, that upside down demographic pyramid is unstable. Let's also hear why would. To have an upside down demographic period pyramid is unstable. What we are seeing in Japan with a rapidly aging population and with very low birth rates, their, their population is going to be cut in half. And we are beginning to see the same trends happen across uh, Europe. It's been negative for years now. It's happening negative trends in America. Uh, we have we, we've talked about and we see negative trends in China. The one the one child policy Devis is going to end up being devastating for China. They've increased it to a two and a three child policy, but the birth rate has not risen. They are in population decline. And the Chinese government even says that. The Chinese government is even estimating that their population is going to fall to less than a billion people by 2100. And that's what the, the Chinese government is estimating. So when we look at the, the actual problems that we're, we're going to face in the future, it is not too many people. It is not not enough resources. It is that we won't have enough trained, skilled people to, to keep the, the, the economy and nations running. And that's a, a scary place to be because instead of running into things like massive inflation. You end up in places of massive depressionary states where it's impossible to get your economy and your nations and your societies back up and running because they're continuing to shrink and die. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. We don't have ads on this podcast because it is fueled by the value that you get out of it and give back into it. So if you get value out of the show, we ask that you would give value back to the show in the value that you received. You can do that by visiting lucasscrobot.com backslash support, and you can give your hard cold fiat there. Or if you like Bitcoin, you can listen on a podcast 2.0 certified app like Podfriends, Sphinx, or Breeze, and you can load up your Bitcoin wallet and you can stream Satoshis to the show as you listen. Don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Today's quote, uh, again, is by someone who it's not an ancient quote, but it's someone who's ancient. Uh, and here it is, Warren Buffett. Again, Warren Buffett coming in clutch. He writes, says, Chains of habit are too light to be felt until they are too heavy 
to be broken. The chains of, chains of habits are too light to be felt until they are too heavy to be broken. And I, I've been thinking about this this week, and this is both for positive and negative. When we start negative cycles, at first we don't feel the effects of it until all of a sudden, suddenly we feel the negative impacts of our bad choices and habits that we've created and they're, they're impossible to break. They feel impossible to get above, like the collapsing birth rate. We're going to see a collapsing birth rate. Japan has seen a collapsing birth rate where their population will be cut in half in a number of decades. And all of a sudden, it is, it is such a heavy lifestyle and habit that it is impossible to break that to begin to see growing birth rates again. Catastrophic. Likewise, on the reverse, when you begin to build positive cycles in your life, we see, we first, we don't see the improvement. We don't see the return from our investment that we make or the strength that we're building as whether it's physically in exercise or whether it's in our finances based on good financial choices or in our children through good parenting through pouring in and investing in our kids, in our community, through investing and strengthening members in our community. At first, we don't see the impact of our habits until it is too strong to be broken. And so as we look to the future and we say, you know, there, there, really, be, there really will be quite a positive future of abundance. There really is an abundant future that we can have where there the lack that we're going to have is lack of, of skilled workers. We can build up those competencies now. We might not see the fruit of our expertise and skills and labors, but through brick by brick, day after day, week after week, decade after decade, we will build strong, we will build strong individuals ourselves and within our family, and thereby we'll build strong families and a strong community. But it starts with it starts with you making choices for you to stand up and to be a leader, for you to stand up and to engage with the world around you, believing that you can make the world a better place. And that is how you can own your future. So thanks for listening to this show. If you want to get more value out of today's episode, you do so by sharing it with a friend. Text it to them, WhatsApp it to them. Say, hey, I listened to this episode. I got a lot of value out of it. Listen, let me know what you think. That's how you can help this show and really give value back to the show. So go out this week, own your future, weave your destiny.